0: Take your Bibles. Turn with me to John chapter fourteen. Take your Bibles. Turn with me. Take your Bibles. Do you take your Bibles? Take your Bibles if you've got them with you. Take your Bibles and turn with me. Take your Bibles if you got them. Take your, take your Bibles. Take your Bibles. Take your Bibles. Take your Bibles. Today we talk about it is all about Jesus. Imagine that. We're going to talk about Jesus. He is the man. All right. Let's read together. Philippians chapter three. You got it. Philippians chapter three. We're going to begin in verse one where he says this. Philippians chapter three. Verse one, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious. It is safe. And then the first word of verse two, beware. What do you hear right there? Uh, He's an old man now. He's wrapping it up. And he says, this is my last word to you. Finally, my brethren. He said, "Uh, what does it mean that this is not tedious? I hate to tell you this over and over. But he said, I'm telling you this to keep you safe. And then he says to beware of something. Let me tell you what happened here. Uh, This man, uh, years before, he took a little mission trip. The Spirit of God put it on his heart. He went to the city of Philippi. As he's going into the city, the river's out there, and ladies were washing their clothes at the edge of the river. So he stops and he talks to them about Jesus. And a lady named Lydia, she was a businesswoman that sold cloth. She's the first convert in Asia. And that's where she came to Jesus, right there by that riverside. She said, if you counted me worthy, stay in my house. So him and his traveling buddy stayed in her house while they were preaching around the city of Philippi. And they were preaching there. And you remember, this is where he got in big trouble. If you remember, this is Acts chapter 16. A little girl, not a little girl, a young woman uh, was demon possessed. And she had the ability to tell people things like a necromancer or some of these fortune tellers. He delivered her from the demonic and she was freed. Well, that made her owners very angry because their source of income was gone. And remember, they grabbed him. They took him to the magistrates. They beat him. They put him in prison, fastened his feet in stocks. Remember this, this is Acts 16 and that, that great verse. And at midnight, they were praying and singing hymns to God. And the, the jail shook. The doors flew open. And the jailer fell down on his knees and says, what do I have to do to get whatever you got? And he said, believe in Jesus and you and your whole family can be saved. And it started a little church there in that city of Philippi. So I was called the church Philippians. Started a little church there, which became a large church. I'm convinced maybe the jailer probably became the pastor since he was the first man who got saved. And it became a great church. And he loved this church. He was their father through the years. You can read through his letters. He loved these people. Matter of fact, you can read in Philippians chapter 1. God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the tender heart of Jesus Christ. You are my joy in the Lord. And he loves them. Right, he's been shown at this point in his life. He's 65 years old now. The lifespan was 45 back then. Average life was 45. And he's been shown your time's up. You're fixing to lay down your life for Jesus. So this is his final letter to them. And he says to them, finally, my brethren, this is my last word to you. He said, I want the, this is for your safety. I want you to beware of something. Well, you think the, the preacher that loved these people so much, you tell them to beware of. And he mentions three things in verse two, and all three are the same thing. He said, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. He said, I, I don't know what that means, but that don't sound good, does it? No. Well, it's all pointing to one thing. He said, beware of religious people. You beware of religion. You said, Brian, why why would a preacher tell somebody to beware of religion for the last thing he said to them? You're going to see a reason. All three of these phrases were phrases that pointed to people who were very religious, but Jesus was not real to them. They didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus. All right, we're going to look at the next verse. And let me tell you about this next verse. This next verse is the litmus verse of the Bible. All right, all of our lives, we've met people that love Jesus desperately and really love you. And then I've met people that Jesus described them like this. Be careful about these people. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. Anybody remember Jesus saying that? That's in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, they're wolves in sheep's clothing. What's that mean? They act like, they look like Christians on the outside, but they got the heart of a devil on the inside. And and we've met people all of our lives, all of us had that really love Jesus, humble, sincere, but a lot of people don't. How am I going to know the difference? All right, listen to what the Bible said. Philippians 3.3 is the verse that decides. This is the verse that tells the difference. This is the verse that identifies people that really know Jesus personally. And he said this in Philippians 3.3. Listen to this. We are the circumcision. That don't mean squat to you. Because half of you in here are not circumcised. <laughs> circumcision back then meant true people of God. It was the sign of people that truly followed God. You had idol worshipers, devil worshipers, false religionists worshipers. But the people that followed God were the people of the circumcision. So some translations read like this. We are the true people of God. Now, dear ones, listen to me. He didn't just write this for this church. The Bible is God speaking to you. Right. And for the rest of your life, you can look back at Philippians 3.3 3, and you can know, here's how I can tell people that really know Jesus. And he identifies three things. We are the true people of God or circumcision who worship God in the spirit. All of our joys in Christ Jesus. And we want nothing to do with human flesh. Those are the three traits that you can always follow to find out who knows Jesus, who's the real, who really follows Christ, who knows him on the inside. And I want you to hear those three things and cling to them for the rest of your life. All my life, I've used Philippians 3.3. When I'm dealing with preachers, people, leaders, coon hunters, it don't matter to me who you are. I've always used Philippians 3.3 as the verse to determine this is the real deal and this is a counterfeit. And uh, let me take just a moment here. Number one, we are the true people of God who worship God in the spirit. When you hear worship, what do you think? Music has nothing to do with music. In the Bible, the, worship, the word worship is used in two contexts. One is music. Oh, worship the Lord, sing to Him, all you people, His praises in the earth. So we worship God by singing. But many times in the Bible, the word worship has nothing to do with music. It refers to the way I relate to God. Let me give you an example. Uh, In the book of Genesis, there was an old man that God had blessed. And he came to him in Genesis 15. And the old man said to him, you've given me everything I've ever wanted except for one thing. I never had a child. And God took him outside in Genesis 15. and He said, count the stars. So shall be your descendants. Well, what a miracle. I mean, he's he's almost 90 years old. So shall be your descendants. And you know the story. His wife's name was Sarah. And it was a few years later. She had a baby in her 80s. He was in his 90s. That little baby's name was Isaac. And remember, what was the promise? You will have as many children through Isaac as there are sands on the seashore. Did it come to pass? Everybody that's of Jewish lineage today came out of that one boy, Isaac. All right, he loved this boy. He doted over this boy, as you could imagine. He's 12 years old. God spoke to him and he said, take your son, your only son, to Mount Moriah. Offer him as a sacrifice on that mountain to me. I want you to take that child you prayed for. Take the child of your love and put him to death as a sacrifice for me. The Bible said Abraham rose the next morning. He saddled the donkey, put the wood on the donkey for the sacrifice, took the fire, took servant, and they traveled to Mount Moriah. And when they got there, the Bible said that Abraham said to the servant, you stay here with the donkey. You now listen to what he said. I and the lad go yonder to worship and we shall return. I mean we shall return? I thought you were going to sacrifice him up there. Hebrews tells him this man had so much faith he knew that God would raise him from the dead if he had to because he'd promised him children. Why don't you listen to what he said? I and the lad go yonder to worship. There was no music on that hill. There was no guitar. There were no instruments. There was no singing. Where's the worship? Then it was worship is my relationship to him. Worship is what I give to him. That's why Romans 12 says this. I beseech you therefore brethren present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your reasonable worship. So worship means the way I relate to God. Worship means everything I have to do with Him. What he says is the first mark of a believer. They worship God in the Spirit. Dude, let me tell you something. You can go to church. You can be active in the church. You can memorize the Bible and never worship God in the Spirit. You, you, you only, if you know Jesus, you have to relate to Him in the Spirit. You know why? Because He is a Spirit. Turn with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. I see... Uh, in the Bible and in reality today, I see about four different types. I see people who want nothing to do with that Holy Ghost stuff, because you'll be weird. Not unless you was weird before you met him. <laughs> and then I see people they sort of, you know, they 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 respect him a little bit, but they no, they don't want to go too far with this Holy Ghost stuff, Holy Spirit stuff. And then I meet others, they're just lunatics. They're just fruitcakes. They're all over the place and blaming it on the Holy Ghost. No, you was a nut before you met him. That ain't got nothing to do with him. And then I meet people who realize I have to hear him every day. He's my life. I I can't live without him. I meet people who know if I'm going to follow God, I have to depend on this Holy Spirit. Look with me in John chapter 4 verse 23. The hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers, dear ones, If the Bible says true worshipers, then there must be some false or non-true worshipers. True worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and the truth because the Father is seeking people to worship Him. God is Spirit. And to worship God, you have to do it in the Spirit. God is a Spirit. If you're going to walk with Him, it's going to be in the Spirit. You have to know the Holy Spirit. There's no Jesus apart from the Spirit of God. And we have to love Him and walk with Him. Turn back with me to Philippians 3. Philippians 3, he said this, the real people of God walk in the Spirit. Number two, what's the second thing they do in verse 3? All their joy is in Jesus. They don't talk about their church more than they do Jesus. They don't talk about their preacher more than they do Jesus. They're eat up with Jesus. You know what these people are called usually? Religious fanatics. You don't know the definition of a religious fanatic. You don't know what it is. That's somebody that loves Jesus more than you do. That's what a religious fanatic is. And these are people that are, they're just crazy about Jesus. Uh, I meet these little teenage girls once in a while. and They'll tell me, I love talking to teenagers. I have the best time with our kids here. And they'll be carrying on and and they'll they'll tell me, say, I got a boyfriend. Got a boyfriend. And I'll say, is he ugly? Oh, they go off on that. No, he's not ugly. And they just glow in the dark and they're just, you, you know what they're doing? They are rejoicing in romance. Tell me who the true people of God are according to that verse. These people are crazy about Jesus. They rejoice in Jesus. All their joys in Jesus. Matter of fact, they're overcome by Jesus. What's the third mark? Don't bring your religion to me. I don't hear anything about it. They reject the flesh. Now, flesh here means religious practice apart from Jesus. All right, let's read a little further and see what he says here. In Philippians chapter 3, and he says this. You want to know religion? I'll show you what religion is. Look with me in verse 4. Though I might have confidence in the flesh or what I do in religion, if anyone else has got confidence, I've got more so. Here's his list. Verse 5. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Concerning the Bible, I was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. And concerning righteousness, I was a perfect man. He says, you talk about religion, you won't find anybody more religious than I was. Let me put it in today's language so you'll understand it. I'm going to pick on Methodist Day because the Baptists need a rest. Let me pick on Methodist Day. He said this, I was born into a family. We are fifth generation Methodist. I was baptized as a, as a baby in the Methodist church when I was eight days old. I was in the Methodist church every day the doors were open. I was the leader of the Methodist Youth Fellowship and I was ordained and led as a Methodist layman. That's exactly what he said right there. It, this, it, there was, it wasn't bad stuff. It was good stuff. It was very good stuff. But Watch what he says here. Verse uh, 6. Verse 7. But what things were gained to me, things that were important to me, I have counted loss for Christ. I count all these things lost so that I could know Jesus. Verse 10. That I might know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, and I want to be conformed to his death. Let me tell you what this man said. I used to be religious. But what was important to me, I've thrown it in the garbage All I want to do is know this man, Jesus. All I care about is knowing Jesus. What he warned these people about. He said, you be careful of people that try to replace dead religion or religious practices with a personal relationship with Jesus. Listen to me. It's not about where you go to church. It's not about who your preacher is. It's not about your bumper sticker on your car or your cross around your neck. Do you love the man, Jesus? it's all about the man Jesus. All right. I had a prophetic word spoken over me years ago. Now I'm 20-some years old, just started preaching and I met a prophet in Charlotte. His name was Jerry Clowers. Anybody know who Jerry Clower is? I love Jerry Clower. He's from Yazoo city, Mississippi. Now you young people don't know him. You young people do me a favor. When you get in your car today, get on your phone there and punch in Jerry Clower and listen, you'll pee in your britches listening to Jerry Clower. He's hilarious. And, uh, Jerry from see City. I'm, I'll never, from that, never forget the night I met him. He had on a, a pale blue tuxedo with a raccoon face on the lapel right here. And his cousins, Marcel uh, Ledbetter. You know, Marcel wanted to be a pupwood truck when he grew up. And it was just hilarious. He had the best time. And, and Jerry said, son, listen to me. Listen to me. He said, in your ministry, you ever meet anybody what is more Baptist than they are Jesus? You break and you run and don't you stop running. What in the world is he talking about? He wasn't against Baptists. He bragged that he was a Baptist deacon in the First Baptist Church, Yazoo City, Mississippi. He didn't say there's anything wrong with Baptists. What he say? More Baptists than they are Jesus. Demons, we've got a great problem in this land today. People are more Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, Lamb's Chapel than they are Jesus. The name is not Methodist, the name is Jesus. The name's not Lamb's Chapel, it's Jesus. The name's not I try to behave and not cuss. That's not the name, the name is Jesus. It's all about a personal relationship with a man. If you ever get away from the man, you're going to be in trouble. Let me ask you a question. What kills marriages? Why are we... uh, I thought, what are you talking about? Marriages and Jesus. It's the same thing. See if you agree with what I'm fixing to say. All through the Bible, our Heavenly Father paints these word pictures to try to get me and you to help us understand our relationship to Him. We just finished a series about knowing Him, and we went through, "The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He cares for me. He protects me. Well, I'm not a sheep. He's not a shepherd, but that's a physical picture to get me understand how he takes care of me. Do you understand that? He paints pictures all through the Bible. One of the great pictures is in John 15, where he compares me and him to a grapevine. He said, "I'm the vine, you're the branches." and you see a grapevine here, you understand that. What did he say? Stay close to me, you'll bear much fruit. Stay close to me, good things will happening in your life. But what did he say? If any man's cut off, if you, get, if you get away from me, good things are going to stop happening in your life. Well, that's a picture. But what's the highest picture of all? What's the highest picture he paints of me and him? Husband and wife. This whole universe exists for one reason. So Jesus can have a bride for all of eternity. Let me quote you to you from Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and sacrificed for her so he could what? So he could transform her by speaking to her and wash her and present her to himself a beautiful bride with no spot or blemish. No man ever hated his wife, but loves her and adores her the way Christ loves the church. This is a great mystery, but I'm speaking about Christ in the church. Listen to me. He's not the man upstairs trying to catch me make a mistake. He don't live in my attic. He's not the Wizard of Oz who gets mad if I screw up. He is a husband who adores me. He loves me dearly. He created me to be his bride for eternity and to love him forever. Listen to me. It's not a business. It's a love affair. It's not a ministry. It's a love affair. All right, let me tell you what happens in marriages. Some of you will agree with me. Uh, marriage starts out in romance, yes or no? It was supposed to. It was supposed to. Right? Here's this guy. He sees this girl and something happens. L- listen, listen. Nothing happens up here in romance. Everything happens right here. Yes or no? He looks at her and he goes, darling, you... He just. But he's cool. And she sees him and she gets the... She gets all... The, listen, this is romance. It's of the heart. And they get excited about each other. And then he starts talking to her. And then they start spending time together. And then that romance sort of flares up. And, and they get excited about each other. Are you with me? Yeah. Come on. Some of y'all look at me like I'm speaking Greek. I, I, <laughs> was yours a forced marriage or something? And, and they, they, you understand what I'm saying? Here? And they, they, they get, they, they, He lays down at night and he thinks about her. Oh, yeah. Admit it, Doc. You did it. And she dreams about him. Are you with me? And then all of a sudden this thing grows. They spend time together. They talk on the phone for hours. Holding hands is wonderful. Yada, yada. Then all of a sudden one day he gets down on his knee and he whoops out a ring and she starts ugly crying. And what? We get married. She's excited. She's slobbering. Mama's excited. Grandma's excited. Daddy ain't excited. He can feel it in his checkbook. But they're excited. Everything's wonderful. They're going to get married. It's going to be great. Planning for the wedding. Going to the chapel. It's just going to be great. Had that big wedding day and there's honey all over the place. And then they go on a honeymoon and then they start living together. And it is wonderful. It's just, they drunk on each other. Okay, you weren't, but some of us were. (laughs) They drunk on each, just have the greatest time. Let me tell you what happened. Let me tell you that romance, that romance, that romance birthed something. On the day they got married, that romance birthed a small business. And that business had property to manage. It had a finance department. And that business grew. And before long, they added employees. (laughs) Called children and that business is growing now yes or no that business is growing and there's clothes to wash and there's meals to cook and there's a house to vacuum and there's grass to mow and there's jobs to work and there's baseball practice this afternoon and there's a baseball tournament this weekend and there's dance practice tomorrow night can you get that one and there's dry cleaning to pick up and we've got a recital this weekend what happens Before long, the business that this romance birthed eats the romance and kills it. Number one time for divorce in America in a couple's life, when is it? When the last child leaves home. Which tells you what? Nobody walked down that aisle and stood, for. I'll do my 367th wedding this coming weekend. Nobody's ever stood in front of me and said, it's gonna last for a while, but we ain't gonna make it. Nobody. It's going to be forever. What happens? The romance birth is, a business, birth is a business, and then that business destroys the romance unless we bring it back. They say, What's this got to do with Jesus? Listen to me. What's this man saying right here? I meet Jesus one day, and my soul melts with love for this man. He's everything in the world. He saved my life, he saved my soul. He he takes out the pain and the hatred. He puts in a joy. His word's alive. He's wonderful to me. And now i got a love affair with the greatest man that ever lived. It's called Loving Jesus. That love affair brings me into a business called church. And uh, because I really love Jesus, they promote me in this business. And pretty soon I'm teaching the youth department and I'm singing in the choir. I'm playing in the band and and I'm an usher. And if you're really good at it, they'll put you up in front of them talking to the rest of those that love Jesus. And over time, something happens and the love begins to die down and the business takes over and we get in trouble. Why did this man not warn them to look out for false preachers? You'd spot that. Why did he say, don't get so caught up in money that you love money and it destroys you. Why didn't he warn him against immorality? Why didn't he warn him against drug use? Because he said this, the greatest danger you'll ever face is not from drugs or the love of money or, or false preachers. The greatest danger you'll ever face is letting your heart grow cool toward Jesus because of the things that happen to you in life. He said, than I want you to do anything. I want you to love Jesus passionately. Don't let the business kill the relationship. All right, now I've had people tell me, <clears throat> evil workers dogs mutilators and they've actually said to me well nobody can just be crazy all their lives like that preacher you know better than that that's an evil worker right there I'm going to make two points in scripture here number one you can be slap crazy 17 year old slobbery in love till you're 95 years old with your sweetheart if you want to be great four amens out there you can be the same thing with Jesus. Turn me to Proverbs chapter four, boys. We're going to settle this once and for all. Girls, find it for him and hand it to him. Proverbs chapter five, excuse me, Proverbs five. Find it and hand it to your husband. He needs this. And girls, if I say something good, elbow him. Underline it for him. Copy it. Put it on the bathroom mirror. Matter of fact, you ought to just copy a couple of these verses. Put them on this bathroom mirror. Now this thing about, I just love doing weddings because people are just so excited. And I usually go into the bride's getting ready room about five minutes, 10 minutes before the wedding <clears throat> to see whether she's changed her mind or not. And she'll be so excited and she's nervous and excited. And, and then I'll go back there and I'll get with Bubba and we'll get in the back room for because I have to come out with Bubba so I can help him stand up while he comes out there. And he's trying to act cool, but he's slobbering. He, I shouldn't tell this. Had one recently at an uppity church in our city here, and it's three minutes till the time we go out. And, Boy, sorry, I got to pee. I got to piss. Somebody got to pee. I said the bathroom's four miles away. He said that's all right. He just went out and stood in the front yard on Main Street behind a bush in our city <laughs> and peed behind the bush. There before we came in. So excited, so excited. People say, Brother Brian, nobody can live that excited forever. Who told you that? Read with me, Proverbs. Chapter four, girls handing me Bible. Proverbs chapter, I'm sorry, five. Proverbs chapter five, verse 18. Let your fountain be blessed. And what? Rejoice with the wife of your youth. Why did he say wife of your youth? Because he's talking to an old man here. He said, you were excited about her when you were young. How come you're not excited about her? You know what rejoice means, don't you? Get in a car, <laughs> That's not excited. You know what excited is, don't you? Boys, you, you should be excited about the wife of your youth when you're so old, you have to lean over to walk or to kiss her. Can you understand what I'm saying here? What do you say? Rejoice with the wife of your youth. Tell me this don't happen. Tell me this don't happen. We start out with young. Going out with Going out with Ethel night. Got to get my hair all done. Get that, that perfume on. Go to wash my car. We, I'm so excited. Going to get some flowers from somebody. Uh, so we start out like that. 30 years later. Got a car, I thought I need some new underwear. We got to go to Walmart. Come on, <laughs> Matthew. What happens through the years? What did he say? He said, rejoice with the wife of your youth. What's the word rejoice mean? Be excited. He said, brother, nobody can do that. He's not daring you. God's trying to help you here. He's trying to help you. Let's go a little bit further here. All right. As a, verse 19, as a loving deer with a graceful doe... Let her breasts satisfy you at all times. Ooh, I mean, I don't care where that. Listen to me. Give me that Bible, either. I all right, look. Look at this. Always. What's the word "always" mean? What's the Hebrew word "always" mean? Always. I mean, when you get old. Always be enraptured with her love. The Greek word enraptured in means intoxicated. I mean, he remains intoxicated. What's the picture here? You don't have to start out wonderful and die dead. It's not supposed to go from glory to crap. It's supposed to go from glory to glory. 2 Corinthians 3.18, from glory to glory. You should adore her. And by the way, girls, you need to love him too. Tell him, you you a stud, doc. Tell him. (laughs) Talk to that man. Here's the point. What's the man warning against? He said, you're you're not evil. You're not bad. You just lost something you used to have. That's not right. All right. What about Jesus? Turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. Let's look at him. By the way, girls cut... Put that on his mirror. But now girls, I'm going to warn you about something. If he grabs you, you don't want to put it up there. (laughs) If you'd have read the verse above it, it would have said, drink water from your own fountain, from your own well. Girls, you got to keep the lid off of it. If he's going to drink water from his own well, I'll explain that next time I'm here. (laughs) Revelation chapter 2. All right. I want you to look at something here with me. Revelation 2. 66 books in the Bible. This one's different from all the others. This book is is where you see the heart of Christ like no other book. Because if you look in the first chapter, first verse, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is where the Spirit of God opens the heart of Christ. We look into it. You will never see the heart of Jesus better than you're going to see it in the book of Revelation, in particular in this passage. In Revelation chapter 2, he writes a letter to the church. Who's the church? That's me and you. What do you think Jesus would say to the church if he wrote a letter? Better behave. No, no. That's that's not a revelation of Jesus. Here's the revelation of the heart of Jesus: Revelation 2, 1, to the angel of the church of Ephesus. So it's to the church. Verse 2: I know your works, your labor, your patience. You can't bear those who are evil. You've tested those who say they're preachers. They're not. You've found them liars. You've persevered. You have patience. You've labored for my name's sake. And you're not weary. Just stop right there. What do you hear? What do you hear? I see. I see. You love me. You're, you're still working hard. You're not, you're not evil. You're, you're not living in sin. You don't put up with false preachers. You had not got tired yet. Sounds good to me, doesn't it? Here's the problem. Read the next verse. Nevertheless, I have this against you, You've left your what? Not love. What have they left? First love. This is the heart of Jesus right here. He said, you're you're not in evil. You're not breaking the Ten Commandments. You're not on drugs. You're not running around with each other's wives. You're you're still working. You're still active. But something has changed between me and you. You, And what did he say? You still love me. But it's not like it used to be. How many times have I had couples in my office doing marriage counseling and we're trying to get to the root of the problem here and finally, usually it's a girl, a girl will say in tears, he don't love me like he used to. And then he'll retort, preacher, I work day and night to provide for her. I don't run around on her. I've never hit her. And I'll say, look, Bubba, she didn't marry you to get somebody to pay her bills. She married you to have somebody to adore her and love her and be excited about her and celebrate her. I didn't get married to have a business. I got married to have a sweetheart. What's Jesus saying right here? I didn't create you to have somebody to work for me. I didn't create you so you wouldn't smoke. I created you to be crazy about me. Let me ask you a question. Why should it matter? Why does he care? I mean, as long as I'm going to church and giving a little money and not breaking the tenements, why should he care whether I'm slapped crazy about him or not? Somebody, you know that. What's the answer? Because he's never stopped being crazy about me. If he wasn't crazy about me, he couldn't care less whether I loved him or not. long as I don't tear nothing up, we should be fine. You know what religion says? Don't cuss, don't drink. Jesus said, you look out for them people. He said, I... I'm not interested in your behavior. Now, don't do stupid stuff that hurts you and other people. You can be perfect in behavior and still not be crazy about Jesus. And miss the whole point. So listen to me. but What's the good news? What's the good news? Let's read the next verse. Remember from where you've fallen and repent. And go back to the what? First. First. Two words. Remember. Repent. And then what he said, let's go back to what, let's go back to what it used to be. How many times in counseling have I had couples, and I've heard this over and over say to me, I just wish it could be like it used to be. what did Jesus say right there? I wish you would think about me like you used to think. I wish you were excited about me as you used to be. What What does remembering always lead you to? Repenting. Now the word repent doesn't mean slobber at the altar. Repent just means Go back. How many couples have sat and said and talked about the early days when it was so much fun, finally looked at each other and said, we need to go back to what we used to have. You know what Jesus is saying right here? Let's go back to them glory days. Let's go back to it. I don't want to answer one question while we're in scriptures right here. Why are churches so ineffective today? I'm going to teach you something here. Read the next verse. Let's read the rest of it. Let's read this. Remember from where you've fallen and repent, do the first works, or I will come quickly and remove your what? Lampstand from its place. I'm gonna teach you something for your children, your friends, your community. What does he say that we have right here? This church has a what? A lampstand. You know what he means by that, don't you? Hold your finger in Revelation and turn all the way back to Matthew chapter five. Let's go back to Matthew chapter five. I got to find out what I'm fixing to lose here if I don't start loving Jesus. Matthew chapter five. I don't want you to listen to this or read with me in Matthew chapter five, verse 14. Jesus said this about his people. Listen, if Jesus says it, will you believe it? All right, got three of you going to believe it. That's wonderful. It's not bad out of a crowd this size. Matthew 5, 14. You are the What? You are the light of the world. A lot of people struggle with that. Who said it? You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nobody lights a lamp and puts it under a trash basket. But on a lamp stand and it gives light to who? People that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they'll watch you and they'll start worshiping God. What's it called? Influence. Influence, what did Jesus say? I put you in the earth to influence people. Your lampstand is your influence. What did Jesus say in Revelation chapter 2, if you want to turn back, what did he say? I I don't care how good you are. I don't care if you're not doing evil. I don't care if you don't break the Ten Commandments. I don't care if you don't smoke. I'm I'm not saying do this. I don't care that you have perfect doctrine. The only way you're going to have influence in your community and with your children is if you love me crazy. Influence don't come from trying to influence. Influence comes from chasing Jesus. Listen to me, parents. Listen to me. You want to influence your children's lives? Love Jesus. You love Jesus, you'll influence. You know why churches are not influenced in their communities today? They may have sound doctrine. They may be working hard. But until you get a bunch of folks that are crazy about Jesus, it's not going to affect anything in a community. The way you change a community is to influence people by loving Jesus. And what's the heart of Jesus in this thing? I want you to go back to loving me. Communities, kids, whatever. Where you work. All right, now I'm going to answer a question that people ask a lot of times. All right, son. If you spend all your time just loving Jesus and chasing Jesus, how are you ever going to get anything done? I've been asked that a number of times. I'm going to answer the dogs that ask me questions like that. Uh, Let me ask you a question. And we read in Philippians where this man said, "I have thrown my religion away. All I want to do is know Jesus." Right. Remember that? Who wrote that? Paul, Paul wrote that. Ask you a question: Did he accomplish anything? Oh yeah, you're holding it. That man changed the world yeah. by doing what? I don't care about being religious anymore. I just want to love Jesus. Then yes, was loving Jesus is the way you change the world. I want to make a statement here from Scripture: You don't change the world by trying to change the world. You change the world by chasing Jesus. You, change, you don't change your kids by taking them to the preacher and telling them to talk to them. You change your kids by changing the way you love Jesus. You don't heal your marriage by getting counseling. You heal your marriage by chasing Jesus. We're not having any fun this morning. Dear ones, what this man say? This is my final word to you. Make sure Jesus stays at the center of everything. Keep him at the center of everything. Keep him central to everything you do. And uh, be the greatest gift you ever give. You want to hear how Jesus said it? Listen to this. This is John chapter 15. Abide in me. Stay close to me. Walk with me. And you'll bear much fruit. You don't bear fruit by trying. Gracious, we've learned that. You bear fruit by chasing Jesus. Out of him flows everything. Your love for Jesus. Greatest gift you can give. And again, I want to say this. One more scripture. Why did uh, this man, when he was fixing to leave, why did he say... Beware of people that try to turn you away from just Jesus and get you all caught up in religious stuff. Why do you say that? Because listen to me, dear ones. uh, I'm probably not going to run off with the piano player. I'm not running off with our music leader either. He is too young for me. I really don't think at this age, cocaine going to trip me up again. Money keep it. What's the great danger of a person who loves Jesus' life? You don't replace good the great with the bad. You replace the great with the good. He said, look out for the good. that will keep you away from Jesus. And I'm going back to him. I'm going to give you one more verse. I'll just quote it to you. This man, Paul, that we're talking about here that wrote this, of course, Jesus spoke through him. He may have been the toughest human being that ever lived. This man was cut out of granite. I mean, he, he was tough. Oh, yeah. Nothing He laughed at the thought of dying for Jesus. He looked forward to it. Thirteen times in his life, he was tied to a whipping post for preaching. Thirteen times. Eight times he was beaten with bamboo rods, 40 times each. Five times he was whipped with a whip, 40 times each. When he said in one of his other lessons, don't mess with me. I bear in my body the scars of Jesus. If you'd have taken his shirt off and looked, on his back were 322 stripes just for preaching Jesus. And he said, I counted a privilege. This guy was tough. When he, right after this, he's headed to Jerusalem. The prophet said, don't go, don't go. We prophesy the Jews will kill you. He said, that's why I'm going. Right. He said, I'm thrilled to get to lay down my life for Jesus. You never find him afraid of anything. I mean, he was solid granite. Only one time in the Bible do you find him afraid. And he wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, he said, I fear for you. And again, he's writing to people that he loves dearly. He said, I, I'm, I fear for you. Lest after I'm gone, Satan, as Satan deceived Eve, he should deceive you and lead you away from the simplicity of devotion to Jesus. Don't make it complicated. Don't make it fancy. There is a man named Jesus. He put me in this earth to love him and I'm going to love him dearly and care for him till the day I fall over. Nothing else matters except loving Jesus. All right, today, 50% of marriages fail in this nation. And they list a lot of reasons. You know, adultery, yada, yada, all this stuff. Nope, every marriage fails for one reason. You lost what you had to start with. Nobody ever runs off till they lose what they had to start with. Of all the crap I've dealt with in marriages through the years, nobody's ever cheated on their wife the day they got married. You're too syrupy on that day. You know how you fix something like that? Just go back and do what you did to start with. The reason you got in trouble is because you quit doing what you did to start there. Recent surveys showed us over 50% of the preachers in America would quit tomorrow if they could. What happened there? There's been something wrong there. You know what? They fell in love with Jesus and instead of fishing for men, somebody made them to keep her at the aquarium and the aquarium killed them. Dear ones, all you need to do in your life is love Jesus passionately and everything else will fall in place. You make sure you hear his voice every day. All right. I'm riding in this morning. I'm driving in this morning before the sun came up and uh, just talking. I live a long way from here. I live down in Chatham County. And I'm driving in this morning, having the best time and uh, thinking I'm talking to Jesus. I said, you know, this may be the last time i ever preach in my life today. Maybe the last time I ever do a sermon. And I said, fine by me. I don't care whether I do or not. It doesn't matter to me. I said, now, if you need something, I'd be glad to help on anything you need. <laughs> I said, might be the last time I ever go to church. Gracious news, I've been to church a lot in my life. I said, but I said, I want to tell you one thing. Every day of my life, long as I live, I wake up looking for you. Amen. It's not about preaching. It's not about working in the nursery. It's not about working with the teens. It's not about serving on boards. Nothing wrong with all that. It's about hearing this man's voice every day of your life. It's about Jesus at the center of everything. Nothing is greater than to hear the voice of Jesus and put him first. Amen. Now, you're going to do great. Let me tell you what you're going to do great. I, listen to me, don't mess my record up. I married my 367th couple next weekend and I told them, I said, I'll marry you, but you do not mess my record up. I've been marrying people for 41 years, 366 so far. Over 90% of them are still together. That's a pretty good record right there. I wish... Uh, would that the Yankees were batting that good this weekend. That's not a bad record right there. And I tell them, don't mess my record up. I'm going to tell you something. I've been with you 20 years. Do not mess my record up. I don't want him asking me, how come you didn't tell him the truth when we get there? You just love Jesus more than you love anything else on this earth. And don't ever let anything come in front of that. And, all right, if you beside the person you married to, reach over and take her hand. Come on, you, you did it 40 years ago. You should know how by now. <laughs> Wake her back up. I know that shocked her just... Lord Jesus, I want to praise you and thank you for your greatness and your kindness. I don't know whether I was talking about marriage or you this morning since your word yokes both of them together. I want to pray for homes one last time. The greatest thing we give our children is a great marriage. It's not a great education. It's not braces. It's not a nice car. It's not running helter-skelter all over the place. It's a great marriage. I pray for these marriages. I pray for these men that the heart of Jesus will be in them, that they will love their wives as Christ loved the church. My highest call is to love you. And then preaching's about number eight below fishing. But loving my wife is number two. And I pray that these homes will be so strong. I pray for these girls that they will love their husbands and adore them and cheer for them and champion their cause. I trust you for that. What our kids need in this land today is to see how to love each other and watch two people that know how to do it. And I trust you for that. Now, Lord Jesus, I wanna pray for everybody in this room. It's not about the building, it's not about Lamb's Chapel, it's not the preacher, it's not the music, it's not what's going on these days. It is a man. It is the Son of God who loved us and loves us and cares for us. And our hearts long to hear the voice of you, to hear you speak to us. I pray for every person in this room that they will love Jesus passionately every day of their lives and never change. I trust you for that. And I pray that they will never turn away. As my beloved brother Paul said, finally, my brethren, I say, finally, my friends, don't let anything keep you away from the tender love of Jesus. I trust you for that. The Lord bless you, keep you, make his face to shine on you and be good to you, lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. And he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it till the day of Christ Jesus, I declare, amen. God bless you. See you next time.